Right, let's go ahead and open in prayer for the message and the word. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you in the song. Lord, we ask you now to just bless this time, anoint this time as we look at your word, and let us see what you would have us see from it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. First Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Uh, we've going through this one and we're going to now talk about deacons we're going to actually look at two sections of scripture today but let's read the first part first timothy chapter 3 verse 8 likewise must deacons be grave not double-tongued not given to much wine not greedy of guilty greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and let those also first be proved and then let them Use the office of deacon, being found blameless. Even so must the wise be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacon be, deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house well. For they that have used the office of deacon well, purchase to themselves a good decree and great boldness. And the other verses that I want to read are in Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmur among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministrations. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and unto the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, the man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Porcius, and Nicomero, and Timon, Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased and multiplied of the disciples in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to faith. We're going to be looking at the role of a deacon in a church. Okay? And the reason I wanted to bring up Acts chapter 6 is because that was where the deacon's role was established. Now, the word deacon literally means servant. And not even just a servant, but one who waits on tables type of servant. And, you know, I want to bring this up because in many Baptist churches and other churches, deacons tend to think that they're in charge of the church. Okay? And that's not the role of a deacon. A deacon is one who ministers to the members of the church. And this is an issue that goes on all the time in churches. Uh, I was a deacon in one of the churches. I had deacon. We had 17 deacons in the church taking care of the church. Okay, each deacon had certain families that they were in charge of helping. Okay, now some of the pastors heard that you had 17 deacons. Oh, how miserable that must have been. And they go, no, because we were training the deacons that their job was to serve the body, to protect the pastor. The pastor often commented that he met the, the family's deacon coming out of the hospital as he was going into the hospital, which is the way it's supposed to be. Deacons do the jobs, and as we saw in there, they did it. The apostles 
put deacons in and you looked at what the reason was so that they could continue to pray and present the gospel message and not be bogged down in the everyday taking care of it. And, and the particular issue there was in Jerusalem, they had a food bank type thing and they p- gave out food to the, ch- to the widows. And the idea was that the Greek widows or the Grecian Hellenistic people were upset that the uh, Jewish women seemed to be getting it. Now, whether that's true or not was never talked about. You know, now, how often do we deal with problems that aren't even problems? We're just, it gets spoken around and talked around and everybody gets upset. You know, maybe one incident happened in there and somebody didn't get taken care of the way they want and all of a sudden we're seeing an issue that can split the church. It's very important for us to make sure, number one, there's a problem. But the disciples said, okay, just find seven guys. We'll put them in charge of making sure these women all get their food and other other things. So we just wanted to bring up what is a deacon? A deacon's job is very simple. They serve. They serve. And they will protect the leaders in the church so that they can take care of other things. Because I can tell you, it gets hard sometimes, especially with two jobs sometimes, to be able to go and make visits and all the stuff that come down to, to it. And this is stuff that deacons can take care of. And pastors always should get out there and do it too. I'm not trying to say they shouldn't, but the, the apostles were saying these people will take care of the day-to-day taking care of people. And uh, so I just wanted to bring this up. The whole reason they did it was to help them. And the church picked the men, and then the apostles said, yes, these are good. <laughs> these are good men. Well, we're going to lay our hands on them and, and bless them for this service. And so I read this because oftentimes deacons get a big head. <laughs> In churches, you know, I am the one running this church. I am, and there are churches where the deacons run run a church, and that's not biblical. Okay, and we want to bring this up because there are churches, there are denominations where it's an issue. Um, so let's go back into real quick the what is the qualifications, and the qualifications are very much similar to the ones we had two weeks ago. <laughs> um, first, it says, likewise must deacons be grave. And remember, this means honest, venerable, somebody that you can say you can look up to. And there's, and Paul is telling Timothy, you don't get the person who is going to bring disgrace to the name of God and to the name of the church. Now, sometimes that's hard to find, but it is what we're looking for. And he says, not double-tongued. Now, double-tongued literally means just that, saying two different things. And that is part of backbiting and back backbiting people. You say one thing to their face and then you go and say something else to other people. Now, how many times do we see that happening around us? Now, and you know, we want to be very careful because people who will, will do these kind of things, you know, you wonder if they will tell you bad things about others, what are they saying about you later on to somebody else? Very important for us. Let's be honest. We're supposed to speak whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report. Think on these things. And if we're thinking on good things, we will speak out good things about people. And I don't know how many of you, how many of you got somebody in your mind and you just cannot think of anything good about them? How easy is it for you to say bad things about them if you can't think anything good about them at all? You're, You're ready to tear them down all the time. That's not the way we should be as Christians. But for a deacon, it shouldn't be that way at all. 
They should be somebody who speaks the truth and loves people. Not given to much wine. Again, we have that sentence that was given to pastors. Doesn't say they can't drink at all, but they're not supposed to be drunk. <laughs> okay. Uh, why? Because they represent Christ. They're representing Christ out to people. And, you know, I, you know everybody knows drunk, you know, people who are drunks, and, you know, they do stupid things when they're drunk. They say dumb things. Uh, they do dumb things. And this is why he's saying the pastor, the deacon, should not be somebody given to much wine who's going to disgrace the church and disgrace their testimony. Not greedy, a filthy lucre. You know, not greedy for money. How many people have you known that they're always trying to, to get the next big thing to get the money? Whatever that might be. I've known several. You know, they'll try every multi-level marketing thing under the sun, every scam they can try. They just have to have the money. Now, we know money is important in our world. But you know, God can give you what you need. And the problem is, are we learning to be content with what we have? And God says, if we're not content with what we have, he's not going to give us more. Because too many people think, if I just have more. And it doesn't matter what the more is. You know, if I had more fame, I'd be happy. And we look at how many actors, actresses, sports athletes commit suicide, get drunk every night because they're not happy, even though everybody in the country, maybe even in the world, know them. If I just had more money, well, how much is enough? You know, everybody who has money says, I don't have enough. Now, I can't picture that, but I guess if I got there, I'd probably be in a position where it wasn't enough. But I can't picture it not being enough. You know, you've got $20 billion. How much more do you want? And yet they'll tell you, just need a little bit more. Can't, can't go on and buy anything that I want. You know, I, I can buy most everything I want, but not. And they'll end up never being happy. This is what he's saying. Are you basically saying, are you content? Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little. Do we have the idea that we are content with what God gives us? That doesn't mean we don't try to go out and get a better job if God wants us to get a better job, make more money, do a better business. But if we're doing it for the idea of I need it for contentment, you've got the wrong motivation. God, I, do, I need this so that I can help support you, take care of things better. Hopefully, as we get more and more money, we get more and more money to God. But you know, the statistics tell us that's not true. The statistics tell us that a person is more likely to tithe if they're poor than they are if they're wealthy. And in one sense, it kind of makes sense. It's still 10%. If you know math, it doesn't matter. You're still giving up 10%. But if you're poor, only making $1,000 a month, you know, all you're giving to God is $100. You can't do a whole lot with $100. But if you make $10,000 a month, and you look at that $1,000 gift of God, you know, what can you buy for $1,000? And that's usually what, they, what they'll say. Well, it's just too much. God doesn't need that much. And, you know, God does not need our money. Okay? God does not need our money. That is not why he asks us to tithe. He asks us to tithe for us to show our dependence and trust in him. Not for him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, you know, God can make anything he wants happen in the church and he'll make the provision whether we give or not he'll make the provision it's for us to learn to trust in him not not anything else and so he says don't be guilty of uh, guilty not greedy 
guilty of greedy or filthy lucre. I'll get a word out. Can't get the word spoken today. <laughs> All right. Then he says, holding the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Now, this one is one that you may or may not remember. We've talked about this in the past. What is the mystery of faith? Jesus, the Son of God, became man, died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected after three days, was uh, received into heaven, and Gentiles get to be saved. Pretty easy. But you know how many people don't understand that? You know, I have met so many people. You ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I hope I'm good enough. You know, I love that answer because if I answer it really quick, you're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not good enough. Well, what do you mean? You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough to deserve heaven. And we need to be bold enough to tell them that. You know, not, not snidely or, or angry, but you know, just simply, you're not good enough to, be, to get to heaven. Nobody is. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When we meet these people, you know, and when we did the evangelism class, we went out in the streets, and it's amazing because everybody who went with us heard that every time. You know, you know, in whatever way you do it, you know, what does it take to get to heaven? Well, I think I might be good enough. If you've witnessed, you've heard that answer. You know, I'm trying to be good enough to get to heaven. That's the lie of Satan that most people believe. The other extreme is, well, there's no afterlife anyway, so it doesn't matter how I live. And the way to get around that one is, what if you're wrong? Mm -hmm. Okay, and you can give them the gospel. But, you know, we need to be able to say, what is the mystery of, of God? What is the mystery of the faith? It's that we Gentiles get to be saved. You know, with all the parts of how we get saved. Now, I, don't, I say we Gentiles because I don't think there's any Jews in this room, but, you know, in their day, the Jew, being a Jew was the big deal. If you were a Jew, you automatically went to heaven by their, by their thought process. Now, that still wasn't true. You had to go. You had to honor God. You had to follow him. You had to offer your sacrifices. But your sacrifices pointed toward Jesus' Jesus's death and burial and resurrection. And, you know, when we went through the Pentateuch, there's a statement in the Pentateuch that most people are not aware of that happens so often. When God was talking about the sacrifices and the worship in the temple, he goes, these rules are for you and for the strangers that are in your midst. Okay? The, the Gentiles were always supposed to be able to worship God in the temple, and, or the tabernacle first, and then the temple. But the Jews made it to the point where Gentiles could not worship. Matter of fact, in the temple, there was a great big sign that says, no Gentiles beyond this point on, on pain of death. Okay? They made it so a Gentile could not worship God because they were God's people. And they are God's people. But that didn't mean that God threw away the rest of the world. Just because he chose Abraham and the Jewish people to give out his message, which they did not, did not mean that the Gentiles were throwaway people, and a lot of the Jews believed that they were throwaway people. You know, God just created them so he'd have fuel for hell. I am so glad that that's not the way we think. But you know, how many times do we as Christians kind of think that same terms? Uh, God, you know, that person's just so bad, I don't know whether I want to, you know, you know, witness to them. God, I'll witness to that person when they get a little better. And God's saying, why? You know, and it's really sad, but we tend to do that. God, I'm afraid of that person, or that person's never going to listen to me. 
How do you know until you talk to them? And if they don't, then it still doesn't matter. You've done your job to communicate the gospel message to the best of your ability. Tell them your story. Tell them how you got saved. I love to hear how people get sa- got saved. You know, I love to hear that the miraculous work that God did in people's lives. That when they become a Christian, they feel the weight of their sin come off of them. And they know that they know that they're saved and they know they're in a relationship with God. And they've watched God work in their life and they can tell you about this. The sad thing about a lot of testimonies are they'll speak for 10 minutes and eight minutes will be how bad they were and how awful they were. And two minutes will be how wonderful God is. I'd like, when you do a testimony, make sure it's the other way around. I was a terrible, awful sinner, and look what God has done for me today. Let them know what God has done. Not glorifying the sin and the bad, but glorifying what God has done and how you've been changed by his, by his message. Then it says, let those first be proved and, and let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. Now, first thing in here, the word office does not belong there. It means the service, <laughs> the ministry. Okay? Office is why we get this idea that deacons are in charge of, of churches and everything. But it is, let them use the service or the ministry of deacons well. And it says, we're to look at them and make sure that they are followers of Christ. And we talked a little bit about last week, how many times do people get saved? They're, they're a real well-known name. And we've seen them. If you've been around Christianity long enough, you've seen some uh, athlete or movie star that gets saved, and immediately they don't know anything about the Bible whatsoever, and immediately they're put up to preach to, to groups to draw a crowd. You know, and then when they fall flat on their face uh, you know, a couple months later because they haven't grown, Everybody goes, oh, well, look at, you know. No, you shouldn't have put them there in the first place. Let them be proved. Are they truly following God? And that means so somebody gets saved and next week you make them a deacon. No, that's not. Now, they may be a deacon eventually, but they need to be proved. Do they know God's, are they handling God's word? Are they living a life that's godly? You know, living a godly life does not get us to heaven, does not please God, but you know, it holds our testimony up. You know, how many of you have seen somebody and you go, wow, that person says they're a Christian. Wow, I, I don't think that's the way Christians should be living. You know, and that's judgmental, and I know it is. But you know, we're told to look at people's fruit, especially if we're going to put them in any positions in, within the church or positions of, of, of uh, where people are going to look up at them. You know, you're not going to put a, a drunken drug user in and saying, this is our deacon. <laughs> you know, this is our pastor. Now, if they're an ex one, that's fine. They're past it. They've grown beyond it. That's great. That's a great testimony. Look what God can do in somebody's life. It's a great testimony for that to happen. But if they're still actively pursuing their sin, they're going out and picking up a prostitute every weekend, that's not the person you want to be you know, in, in these positions. And God's saying, let them be proved. And this word proved means literally to make sure they're genuine. The word in, in the Greek re- refers to men who would take the gold coins and make sure that they were genuine of the right weight. Because they had a big problem back in the days when they made gold coins and bronze coins. People would shave off the edges. <laughs> and your coin would get smaller and smaller and smaller. They would still, they would be careful not to get into the engraving part, but they would, you know how we have edges around our coins? Well, they would shave those edges. 
and shave them down. The, the ones that this is showing to be approved is that they're that type of person. They are genuine. They are real and genuine and the real thing. And that's what he's saying. Make sure they're real Christians, not somebody just saying it. Um, because that's a critical thing in, in Paul's mind. And found blameless is that same word we talked about last week. I just want to bring this up because blameless does not mean without fault because then nobody would ever be a deacon. Nobody would ever be a pastor if you're going to go, well, you had to be without any fault. No, it is somebody who's not purposely getting in trouble. You know, God knows that we're all going to make mistakes. I wish we didn't, but we do. And it's as I said, you know, I'm never surprised when a sinner sins. Okay? And that's whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. I know that sinners are going to sin because I know I sin. And I know everybody that I know sins. There is no perfect person. But I know there are certain people that you know that they're going out and purposely sinning. They're, you know, they're, they're doing things that they know are wrong. And there's some people that just keep falling into problems. And we all, we all have some sin that bothers us. Every one of us has some sin. Now, whether it's a big one or, or a little one by human standards, we all have something that's going to trip us up. And whether it be gossip, lying, uh, drinking, pornography, uh, whatever it might be, there's something that will dr draw us away from God easily. Not saying it's good, but it's just a sin that besets us. And we need to be careful with those and say, God, I need help. And sometimes God uses those to just keep us humble. You know, don't get too big a head. You're, you, you have problems just like everybody else. And we need to be able to look at that. When we start getting this idea of looking at somebody and say, well, you've got a really big problem. Well, we've got to remember, we've got big problems too. Now, we need to love one another, build each other up, and not be sitting there trying to tear each other down. Then he goes in, even so, must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, sober, faithful in all things. Now, this is an interesting thing that Paul talks about deacons' wives. He did not talk about elders' wives for some reason. And he did talk about deacons' wives. And I'm not sure why this is true. Possibly, there's two schools of thought on this. I'm going to give you one. The one school, and I don't agree with, is that he's saying that women can be deacons, but the next verse will tell us that they can't be deacons. So uh, I believe it is because when a man is serving the church, oftentimes his wife will be involved in those service activities. And he says she has to be of a good reputation. That's my personal belief, uh, because when I first became a deacon, my wife went on all my visits with me for two reasons. Number one, I was a man, and I didn't have anybody else to go with me, and I wanted her with me, especially when I went to somebody's house where there might just be a woman there. I wanted somebody else with me. At least Another man would have been great, but at least my wife was with me. And we visited all the people and, and had a good time. And, you know, we want to be, be aware as men, we need to be aware that our wives bring special, unique ways of seeing things to situations. And, you know, it's amazing to me, women, you see things that I would never see. <laughs> you know, my wife sees things in people that I would never see. You know, I'm blind and oblivious to a lot of these things, you know, and it's wonderful. You know, don't ever think that you're second class because of some of these things. God has reasons for what he's doing. He says, I have these positions of authority, especially for a pastor, authority. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said Eve was tricked, but Adam chose his sin. 
and, got, and he's the one that was the, the head, and he was made head. And it was said that his Eve would not want to be under his dominion, his authority. And you know what? We think this women's, women's uh, issues with uh, all this stuff is new. It goes all the way back to the very first curse on the Bible. So we want to be very careful with, uh, with these things. But you know, we need each other. We all bring gifts to the church. You know, and I love the fact that we bring different gifts. You know, Paul talked about the body of Christ, and he goes, well, if everybody was an eye, what, what else would be getting done? You'd see all kinds of problems. But if every, but there's no hands, no feet, nothing would get done. If everybody was a foot, okay, we'd get to wherever the problem was that we never saw in the first place because we didn't have any eyes seeing the, seeing the problems, or we wouldn't have any hands to serve the serve. You know, and he really makes these funny pictures, you know. Can you imagine just a big blob of eyes? <laughs> You know, big blob of hands. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we need each other. There are people in the church that sees the issues and the problems around us, and we need those people because there are some of us that are oblivious to those kind of issues and problems. We need the people who have the hands and say, I'm going to get in there. Now, now, now we see the problem. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to help fix it. We need people that are the feet to go to walk around. We need those, you know, each part we need. Never feel that you're insignificant to the body of Christ. You know, think about our own human bodies. I don't know how much you know about the foot. I broke the little toe of my foot one time. Okay, actually up where it bears the weight. Do you realize how important the little toe is in your body? I don't know how often we think about our little toes, but do you realize that the little toe carries the weight of the body for you? You break the little toe that you never think about and you have trouble standing, walking, moving, because it carries the weight. Now, we might think about our big toe. The big toe is important, too. It's all about balance. You know, how about the little tiny bones in your ear that let you hear things? How many of you think about those little tiny bones? You know, I don't usually think about the little tiny bones in my ear. You know, and this is what basically Paul was saying about the body. The things we never think about, the things we hide that we don't want to be aware of, usually have great importance to the body. You know, for many of us, there are people in churches that are prayer warriors. You know, most people don't know who they are. Okay? I've heard people say they're a prayer warrior, and I go, okay, tell me about your answered prayers. Well, you know, I just pray a lot. No, you're not a prayer warrior. <laughs> okay, just because you pray a lot does not make you a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior is somebody that when they pray, God hears and answers. That's a prayer warrior. That's the person you're going, I want that person to pray for me. Because when they pray, things get answered. You know, uh, other people are, I want this person to go talk. You know, I want to introduce you to my friends. They need to hear somebody who can actually give the gospel message out. I, I give it as fumbling, but I want them to have somebody that really gets success on it. You know, be aware of who you are in Christ and be happy with who you are. Don't wish to be somebody else. Okay, very important that we don't wish to. Now, that may mean God, God may put a call on you to be some, do something bigger than, and further than you are. Don't be oblivious to this. But you know, I've met many people, well, you know, I can't be like a Billy Graham, so I'm not going to witness anybody. Well, very few people can be a Billy Graham. Okay, uh, it's just not the normal attitude that people have. Well, I can't be like this prayer warrior, so I'm not going to pray. 
do your best at praying, but don't compare yourself to somebody else. You know, pastors have a hard time sometimes. They compare themselves to other pastors. How big is my church? How big is your church? You know, what are, you know uh, this, that, and the other. And we've got to be very careful because God has put us where he's put us. You know, I praise God he put me in this church with our 20 people. <laughs> but, you know, I also watch what God's doing in our lives in this church. I've seen people growing in this church, and I'm going, thank you, God. Small part in their life, but thank you that they're growing, that they're becoming more spiritual. Could anybody else have done it? Yes, God could have put anybody in here, but he's given me the privilege of being able to minister to this church. Giving me the privilege of you guys allowing it and paying for it to put us on the internet. Who knows who we're reaching in, in, from this little church? You know, a lot. <laughs> we just talked about it. Almost 10,000 hits this, this month. I don't even know how, many, how people are hearing about us. And yet they are. They're finding us. They're, look, they're listening to us. And you know, I get the privilege of being the one who gets recorded, but you all are the ones that keep it, on, keep it online. We're, we're paying for it for, as a church. Thank you for what God is allowing us to do and the outreach he's making this church have. As even though we don't see a whole lot of the results, God is doing something. Then he goes, for they that have used the office or ministry of deacon well purchased for themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This whole idea here of, I skipped something, didn't I? I skipped verse 12. <laughs> Let the deacon be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house. <laughs> this is the reason why I don't believe the previous verse was talking about women deacons, is that he says, let them be the husband of one wife. And just as we talked about with, with the elder, there are several schools of thought on this. One is that they, can, they cannot be a deacon if they remarry even for their wife dies. I don't agree with that one at all. The other one is that if they ever have been divorced, they can't be a deacon. And as we talked about last week with the elders, I have problem with that because that means one mistake keeps you from serving God, and I don't believe it. I believe that's a statement against grace. This was written to Timothy. Timothy is in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus has polygamy as a pretty big issue, and, he, and I really believe that he's talking about they cannot have more than one wife at the same time. And I know that that's a minority view, uh, but it's, as we talked about last week, it's held by many scholars. Okay, a lot of the scholars believe that it was polygamy. Now, it doesn't go over well in the Baptist churches. You know, it's no rule in the Baptist Association or anything that you must say that it refers to divorce, but most Baptist churches tend to believe that it says you can't have a divorce. I disagree with that, and, I have, and I've given you my reasons. I see God's grace. We are a new creation when we come into Christ. Now, just as before, if somebody has gotten divorced three, four times, then they're in violation of ruling their household well. Okay? Somebody who's always getting divorced is not taking care of their family, and, and that would disqualify them. Because that's, that's the argument. Well, if you allow a divorced man to do these things, you're going to have a problem. Well, no, because you still have the fallback. Are they ruling their house well? Because a lot of times when a man becomes a Christian, his, the, the wife will leave them because they don't like the Christian, Christian walk. That's happened many, many people. And if they leave for that reason, there's absolutely no reason why they should be stopped from taking positions in the church. 
And yet there are a lot of churches that will say, well, you're divorced. You know, you're, you're, you cannot serve God because you are divorced. My answer has always been to those, those pastors, what about grace? Where is grace in that situation? And it's very important because grace is the most important thing for us as Christians. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We will get into heaven by grace. And because of all the grace we have, we should be more than willing to give grace to one another when we don't like whatever they do. Because I can tell you one thing, everybody's going to do things you're not going to like. I'm going to do things you're not going to like. You're going to do things that I don't like. My job towards you is to give you grace. Your job as a spiritual person and a Christian is to give grace back out. And if we're all giving one another grace, what power would we have in our church? What power would we have if we're all giving one another grace? Not looking to judge one another, not looking to devour one another. Giving one another grace and building everybody up around us. And you know what? It's not just with each other in the church. We're to show God's grace to the world because they need to see that God loves them. One of the most powerful witnesses that we have to people is a very simple statement. God loves you. And when you tell people that, well, well, if you knew what I did, you you would know that God doesn't love me. And I go, God loves you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. You know, if you can't tell them anything else about the gospel message, God loves you and Jesus died for your sins is a great message. Because I've heard people, they'll be joking, well, I can't go in the church, the roof will fall in. Well, come to our church, it's not a problem. It's been here for 100 years, it'll stay here for, these, these stone walls are going to hold up for a long time. You know, God loves you. Just learn to be able to say that to people. When they're tearing themselves up and ripping themselves apart, God loves you. Whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, the statement God loves you is so powerful. In the cross and the switchblade, David Wilkerson was talking to this gang gang leader, and he goes, God loves you. And he goes, well, you better quit saying that. I'm going to cut you into 150 pieces. And he answered him, and every piece will say, God loves you. You know, bug that leader. But you know, this is what will happen to the world. If you tell the world that God loves them, it's going to stick in their mind. It's going to bring a dwell. It's going to drill into their mind. Does God really love me? Is that person just full of it, or, is this, or does God really love me? And that might just be what it takes. If you can do nothing else in the witnessing department, God loves you. And when they say that God can't love them, God loved you so much. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should have, not perish, but have everlasting life. You know how powerful just those words will be to witness to somebody? Learn, learn to be able to give this out to them. Learn the power of loving people, giving grace to one another. And this is what he's telling us on all of these things that if they serve well, they have one great reputation. You know, and service is so important. 
One of the ways that I've always looked for deacons are people that want to serve in the first place. <laughs> because if I want to be a servant, I want to find somebody who is a servant. You know, if you want to find somebody who's a leader, you find a leader who's being a leader even before they're given a title. When I worked in restaurants and I was promoting people all the time, I was looking for people who were leaders. You know, and I had a couple of people go, well, I'll show you that I'm a leader when you promote me. I'm going, not going to happen. Okay? Not going to happen because if you can't lead now, you won't lead just because you have a title. A servant, a deacon isn't just going to become a servant if they're not a servant in the first place. And we are to serve one another. We're to love one another. We're to give grace to one another. And, you know, with me being gone last week, you know, at the hospital, I love hearing all the, all the comments of how everybody was, was having a good time and we, you know, we didn't have everybody just walk back out the door because pastor wasn't here. You know, we had, you had a great time. And I appreciate that because it says what I always know. I'm not the most important person here. Okay. Now, am I important somewhat? Yes, I'm the one that gets to give the message. But, you know, I'm not indispensable. I'm replaceable. If God wants me replaced, I'm replaceable. But so is everybody else in the ministry. The one thing I have learned over the years, because we've, in, over the years I've seen people leaving churches, and everybody go, well, how can we get by if so-and-so leaves? They do this and that and the other thing. And I'm going, you know, even though I wasn't a pastor, I'm going, God will provide the replacement. And you know the good thing that usually happens? Somebody leaves who's doing two or three jobs. God usually replaces them with two or three people. Now all of a sudden you've got two or three people doing the work. And when one of them leaves, God puts another two or three people in it. I am never worried if somebody leaves. <laughs> because God has other people there. We are in his service. It's his kingdom. He's going to provide the leaders. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful to watch God work. It really is. Because we don't know whether that leader is in the church right now, which is usually the case, or we'll walk in the door and, and, and you know, just, uh, you know, God provides them that way. But God is the one who is responsible. It's his church. This is his church. He will make sure that we are covered in all the areas that we need to be covered in. We, we announced a couple of jobs that need to be done, and I know God's got the people out there to do them. And we'll see God raise up people to do these things. And it'll be a great blessing to watch them grow as they get to minister. You know, I'm going to tell you, the most fun thing I've done in all my life is to serve God in whatever capacity it has been. As a young teenager, I taught Sunday school. Then I started doing Bible studies and all these other things. Been a deacon, done, did all the outreaches, you know, different things. And it's been a great blessing to watch God do these things. And it's been a great blessing to watch God put other people in these positions and every single time somebody has moved on that holds a position of authority God has the person there to take over and it's a great blessing because I don't have to worry about it it's God's church it's his church he will take care of everything let's go ahead and close in prayer Lord we just thank you for this day Lord we thank you for how much you love us Lord you we've been talking about different ministries within the church and lord there are so many ministries we, we can come up with lord we ask that you help each person to see what their ministry is and that how they can help you lord if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you as their lord and savior we ask that they know that you love them and you died for them 
They will accept your sacrifice and your gift that you're holding out, and they will ask you to come into their life. They will repent of their sins and turn to you, and that they will communicate with other Christians this new life change that they have. Lord, for each person in this room, we ask that you help us to understand our place within the body of Christ and our service within that body. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.